the objects to observe in the August 2023 night sky on episode 347 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. How are you this evening, Shane? Not too bad. And yourself? I'm doing well. Before we get going, we have a Patreon or Patreon's supporter to thank. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Zoe and I think it's Leah. Leah? Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you for your uh, uh, Patreon support. They are our newest Patreon supporters. So we always like to give a shout out. And as always, uh, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters for helping to keep the show going. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Did mm-hmm. you get any observing in during the past? I guess what? It's been about a week and a half or a couple of weeks since we chatted. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a lot of daytime observing like uh, solar uh, with hydrogen alpha. Um, although, you know, it does not take much to like not it doesn't take much transparency degradation to really rob H alpha of the detail. Really? Uh, yeah, like um I'm really surprised to hear this. Yeah, it, it you know, just a little bit of like high level cloud or if there's some smoke or dust in the air, like it has to be enough that you're seeing it in the sky and like maybe the sky isn't a deep blue anymore. Mm-hmm. Or if you actually see some of that cloud up there, um, it can really take away from from some of that uh, detail. Um, it, it's just so picky. But regardless, you know, I was doing as much as I could and um, just a, a wealth of detail there. It was a lot of fun. So I, I was enjoying that. Nice. And, your, and yourself, I believe you had a little trip. Yeah. Mike and Peter and Rick and I, and pile of public folks and grasslands park staff were running the grasslands national park event and had some clear skies on both nights. Actually, surprise, surprise. We had two clear nights. Of course, it wasn't clear a hundred percent of the time we were there. In fact, Um, the first day when we arrived, there was like some fairly moderate, but thin smoke. Mm -hmm. And then that, uh, kind of cleared out just as it got dark and we had about two really good hours. And then we could see this thunder and lightning storm on the horizon. And we thought it's not going to come here, but of course it did come there, but it wasn't very bad. It just lasted like 30 or 40 minutes. Not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then on Saturday, it was very, very hot. We were 37 degrees Celsius, and uh, there was totally clear skies, not a cloud in the sky all day, right until we started doing our talks, which are (laughs) about half an hour before sunset. And then, of course, uh, the sky was completely overcast by the time we finished doing our talks. And so it took like about two or three hours for that cloud to completely dissipate. But it was funny because Rick started doing a, a sky tour for people and you can only see like literally like maybe three stars just through sucker holes. And Rick was adamant that it was going to clear. It's going to clear. It's going to clear. And he kept everybody around. I was like, they were actually going to like cancel the event and start doing refunds. Mm-hmm. And Rick was like, no, don't do that. It's going to clear. And I was thinking, Rick, you don't know what you're talking about. And by the, by the time he got like 15 minutes in, like the sucker holes are just getting bigger and bigger. And by the time he was half an hour in, it was like, stop talking, Rick, so we can look through the telescopes because it was completely clear. So. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's great that it cleared up. And, you know, it, it is a unique, well, I don't know. It seems like a unique area. Like mm. there's been so many times when we've been down there and you think you're about to have a bad night and, and yeah. you know, you're going to get clouded out. 
And then it just opens up and it's almost in, like, I don't think we've ever been completely skunked when we've been there. Like we usually get at least one great night. Yeah. And almost always you get, you know, portions of both nights or two really good nights. Yeah. I had, I had one weekend when I went down by myself once and I think like people just didn't come that there might've been two or three weekends, like over the course of 14 years. Um, but that's keep in mind, that's two events every year for 14 years. So that's 28 uh, weekends over Mm -hmm. 14 years where there was either two or three weekends where we didn't get, uh, like a good night in that's, uh, that that's a pretty phenomenal record. And not only that, but like, in addition to doing those events there, I've like personally stayed over in the park a couple hundred nights, I think anyway. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, the, the, the same thing just repeats itself you know, going on, on that kind of extreme, where if you go down for two or three nights, you'll, you'll usually get one really good night and an okay night, a night where the clouds do hang out more than you want. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty, pretty great place, even with a very, you know, we lost about five degrees on the horizon, because there is just so much smoke in the upper atmosphere, mm-hmm. I think, essentially around the world, um, that uh, we couldn't see the last five degrees. But 45 degrees up, I could see stars down to magnitude 7.25. Wow. Yeah, that's a really good night. So so that's pretty good. And like uh, Peter uh, pointed his telescope at M51 at one point in time. And just like right away, you could see the spiral structure in a 10-inch. Oh, so wow. that was... Uh, Newtonian? Yeah, 10-inch uh, Dobsonian Newtonian, just the standard uh, Skywatcher, which I think mm-hmm. our... Really nice little scoops. Actually, strange enough, I was talking to Skywatcher today down there. I had to, uh, I decided to to splurge and order a OEM power supply from them. You look around online, you see, you know, you can buy this power supply or that power supply or this generic power supply, that generic power supply. Um, a power supply in American with shipping was $38 to my door. So it was actually the cheapest option. Hmm. Well, that's pretty so, good. And and then, you know, you're getting the match and you don't have to worry about the wrong, you know, amount of power going to the mount. Yeah. So shout out to Skywatcher. Actually, I've, I've leaned on their support a few times now, I think, and I've always been quite impressed. Uh, you know, large telescope manufacturer, I think should stand behind their products and they, they seem to, you know, and it's not, it's actually a used mount that I own. It's not like a a new mount or whatever it's it's a several years old mount i just needed the power supply and they uh supplied it to me so hopefully that gets here and next week had some nice observations of messier 11 m13 m5 we took a look at took a look at m10 and m11 globular clusters took a look at the lagoon and all kinds of stuff like that yeah we just had a had a really great evening Nice. Yeah. It's, there's so many showpiece objects in the summertime, like down in Sagittarius. I, you know, I, sometimes I feel guilty, like looking through Sagittarius at, you know, the objects that I've seen dozens of times, but it's just so nice. you know, mm. And it's so beautiful to go through that region. I, I just, I really can never get enough of it. Yeah. Want an observatory update? Yes. I'm, I'm getting an observatory built and my builder was just here. So thank you for being patient, Shane, because he wanted to uh, chat about a couple of, of the items. We're working on the roof. We're working. And when I say we're, I mean, I'm, I'm up there like, what do we need to do? Like kind of thing. I'm not really helping at all. The odd time I'll hold a board or 
bring apart. That's, that's my main role, but we've got the door on, we've got the roof is on, except for the panels. I had to order parts to put the roof panels on. That's going to take another week or 10 days. I bought two parts to affix the mount to the post that we put in for a pier and uh, didn't order one of the parts I needed to order. So that's on order from Germany. And it turns out that that building an observatory is mostly just ordering a lot of parts and to have a very patient builder uh, like my builder is to uh, be very patient with uh, trying to figure some stuff out. And he's just done an awesome job. So I feel uh, pretty lucky there. It's it's working out pretty good. Well, that's good. Sounds like it's coming along. Yeah. Just see the photo. I put the photo of the observatory with, with door now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's looking, <laughs> it's starting to look like something. Yeah. Maybe we can put that up in the show notes for people to, people were asking, people wanted to see a picture of the hole when I talked about the hole last month, but mm-hmm. now it's, now it's a whole lot of observatory. Boom. Maybe by this time next month, I'll have a telescope in it. Although I'm starting to, you know, originally we talked and my ambition was to get the observatory built before the snow flies. And then when he started on June 20th, I thought, well, that's funny because we'll definitely get it done before the snow flies. And now I'm like, I hope we can get it done before the snow flies. (laughs) I've seen snow on the the 1st of September here, though. So, all right. Now for the objects to observe in the night sky for August 2023. You know, I'm, I'm working on the observer's calendar. I'm the observer's calendar editor for the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, as you know, Shane, every month I go through the calendar. And last year was the the first time I did the whole thing. I I shouldn't say by myself, because there's a whole pile of people that help me out with it. Mm -hmm. But I'm the one that's ultimately responsible. And usually errors are found. And I use the calendar to build these sort of what to observe in the night sky each month podcasts. And so I go through and if I, you know, it's always something on the back of my mind that I'm going to find an error. I'm going to find an error. And I actually haven't found an error in the calendar I produced last year yet. So I'm pretty excited. Well, that's good. August 1st, full moon. Are you going to be looking at the full moon on August 1st? Mm, not intentionally, but maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably going to be outside. I'm spending a lot of time outdoors and enjoying every last minute of summer. Yeah, good stuff. August 2nd, Saturn is going to be two degrees above the moon in the very early i.e 1 a.m morning sky so if you want to see saturn and the moon together you're going to stay up past midnight or get up super early if you wait until the evening you're not going to see it did you guys Uh, have a look at saturn in grasslands yeah but it's it's very low i think once it gets past opposition it'll be a little bit higher up Mm -hmm. but i was i was sort of surprised how low it was part of me feels like it wasn't even that low last year i i don't know i thought where it is now is a little bit uh higher up but i mean it must be higher up i i don't know why i was thinking that but i'm i'm surprised uh opposition is actually towards the end of the month uh, opposition of saturn and i feel like usually i'm observing it for a month or two before opposition and i've only scarcely had a couple glances at it so far Hmm. on august 8th we have the last quarter moon and that last quarter moon is going to be three degrees away from jupiter so jupiter's three degrees below the moon in the early morning sky on Hmm. august 8th so again you're going to be staying up past midnight or getting up like four o'clock in the morning or something 
like yeah. that. I really enjoy looking at those planet moon pairing sheen. I don't know about you. There's there are a lot of neat fun to look at. Yeah, yeah, they're great. And what I like about these updates is it it's kind of a foreshadowing that we're getting into, you know, what I would call planetary season coming up here. Well, we haven't had a lot of planetary stuff to look at so far this year. And mm. uh, having Saturn and Jupiter available in the nighttime sky will be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Well, speaking of planets, on August 10th, we have Mercury at greatest elongation. It's going to be 27 degrees away from the sun in the evening sky. But when I looked at the planetarium software, I've been using Stellarium, uh, a la our good friend Blake, the observing chair. And he, uh, he's he been training me how to use it. It, it shows that it's just, it's just very bright still in the evening sky, unfortunately. So uh, maybe get a chance to see Mercury. Uh, just as it's hugging the horizon, uh, maybe on uh, a couple days before the 10th and 10th and a couple days after the 10th, but probably the 10th would be your best bet if it's clear that night, uh, go out and try to see Mercury. It's going to be right in the uh, western sky. And yeah, again, you're, you're going to have to really make sure you have good clear horizons and a nice clear sky, I think, in order to see it well. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, is there an asteroid that night? Yes, yeah, also uh, at opposition that night is 10 Hygieia, if I'm okay. saying that right, which is a it's it's a major asteroid, possible dwarf planet, and it's uh, magnitude 9.6 that evening. It's got a diameter of 434 kilometers and a mass of about 3% of the total mass of the uh, asteroid belt. So it's wow. the fourth largest asteroid in the solar system by both volume and mass and it's it's kind of roundish so it is kind of getting on that line of well is it an asteroid or is it a dwarf planet and it seems like they may be leaning more towards uh dwarf planet uh annabelle de gasperi discovered it it on the 12th of april in 1849 and hygieia is named after the greek goddess of health i thought maybe it was dental health but it just says health in in general <laughs> All it's right. on the Aquarius uh, Capricornus border and being 9.6 magnitude. You're probably going to want to take a look at that using your planetarium software or something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. And binoculars or a telescope. Binoculars or a telescope. Exactly. In order to see it. So, but it's possible. I think the trick to these, Shane, is that you uh, get a reasonably good chart or use your software and then you sketch it. You yeah. just sketch your field of stars and then you figure out which one moved. But Aquarius Capricornus border, I was actually observing quite a bit in there uh, last year. And it's a pretty good spot for hunting stuff down like this because it's not really a star rich region. So mm. yeah, that'll pretty, make it a little easier. I think so. Should be pretty good fair. August 13th and 14th. This this is probably the biggest astronomical event of the year for beginning or non-stargazers. What would that be? Uh, well, the Perseid meteor shower, and mm-hmm. uh, it looks like the timing's actually not too bad because we're getting pretty close to new moon. Getting close to new moon, exactly. And they're saying now like these two mornings, so I think I think mm-hmm. they're pretty sure that we're going to have a have a pretty good show here in North America. So mm-hmm. you get up really early on the thirteenth and or fourteenth, and then you can go out and take a look for some meteors. Yeah, I mean, just do that. I was supposed to be off on the fourteenth, but then I was asked to work, but. That's my sob story. We'll, <laughs> well, we'll and, and 
this one can uh, really have some big outbursts uh, in terms of meteors per hour. Some years it's, you know, it's not as exciting, but uh, other years it just kind of explodes. So um, mm-hmm. you, you, you never really know with these um, until you get out under the night sky and start counting. Yeah, I was. Have you ever seen one of these outbursts before? Yeah, I have. Yeah, uh, it's incredible. It's almost like it's raining meteors. <laughs> like it's just constant flashes of light. Yeah. So what? When was that? And what did you see? Oh gosh, that was uh, before I even really got serious into amateur astronomy. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just. Uh, I remember being out with some friends, and uh, we were outside of the city. And, uh, we're like, holy cow, like what's going on here? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was an incredible night. I I guess this was about 11 or 12 years ago, maybe, maybe 10 years ago. Anyways, a while ago. And I went to the Mount Kobach star party and Mike was coming, but the, uh, the day before Mike showed up, I, I think it was, uh, I had arrived and my wife and I had driven a long ways and I'm not that good at guessing these distances out west here because I'm not that familiar with the area. And we went up Kobau and I was I was really tired, but it was clear and I wanted to observe. And there was lots of folks around with telescopes. And I kind of knew a couple of the people already. And I said, hey, would you folks mind if I, I'm just really tired? I don't feel like setting up my scope, but I wouldn't mind doing a little observing, maybe some binocular observing, but you know, you know, everybody is real nice. And so I was kind of sitting and and watching with my binoculars and then getting up. And, you know, as people found, they'd say, Oh, hey, I got M13, come take a look and I wander over and take a look, kind of thing. But eventually I was just like seeing meteor. And I was, I started calling them out. I'm like, I'm seeing a lot of meteors, meteor, meteor. And it was just like that. And then finally, they just eventually abandoned their scopes and grabbed their own lawn chairs. And we all just sat back and we were calling them out just for fun. And there was so many times where more than one person was calling out meteor and they were facing in different directions. And we were just seeing like meteor after meteor. I think we figured we saw hundreds, maybe a thousand meteors that night. It was uh, just spectacular. I've never seen anything like that before. It was really cool. But like you said, Jane, it was just completely random, un- unpredicted. And uh, we were just in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. And really that's kind of how these big meteor showers go. Um, you just have to be there because it's really impossible to forecast uh, an outburst like that. So maybe for newcomers, what what are meteors exactly? What are we looking at when we see these things? Sometimes they're called shooting stars. Are they just like stars that are coming streaking in through our atmosphere? <laughs> no, um, oh. it's. Uh, I think it's actually more interesting than that. It's it's kind of a that would be a very short lived interest. <laughs> <laughs> it would. No, a meteor shower is a little bit of a history lesson in a way, because um, what all of those flashes of light or, or, you know, in quotes, shooting stars, what those are is uh, remnants from comets that have passed through the solar system. And it just so happens. So when a comet is passing through the solar system, it's constantly um, like ejecting or, or losing its mass and kind of creating a big, like debris tail, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that debris tail is often like kind of the ice particles, but also like little bits of rock and, you know, almost like sand in a way. And, um, as the earth is traveling through its orbit around the sun, it occasionally passes through one of these dust fields or debris fields, I should say. And what we're seeing for meteor showers is all of that material burning up as it hits our atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So depending where we pass through that debris field and how, uh, like how thick it is or, or how much matter is there sort of determines what 
what we'll see for the meteor shower. If we're just kind of glancing by it, then might not be that spectacular of a meteor shower. But mm -hmm. if we're going to pass through a real dense part of that, that's when we can get those outbursts that you just described. Uh, and that's also why it's really impossible to predict, you know, I shouldn't say impossible. There's always predictions, but, uh, it's, it's not all, it, it's not often accurate <laughs> predictions. We don't really know what we're going to get until that night. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, progenitor comet is swift tuttle. So this is a periodic comet, but it has a strange orbit that varies quite a bit between 20 and 200 years. And if you can wait around until like uh, 21, 26, it's going to get naked eye, about magnitude 0 0.7. Wow. So start eating your carrots, Shane. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that, yeah. So what happens is as it makes orbits on the inner solar system, it gives off material. And then eventually we kind of cross that material's path. August 15th and 16th, there's a neat challenge here for you, Shane. You can go out on the 15th mm -hmm. in the really early morning. And you can look for that old moon in the morning twilight. Just barely see a sliver. In fact, it wouldn't even be like a full sliver. I've seen this before. And it just looks like a broken line, like a, almost like a dashed line yep. through a telescope. You might just see like bits and pieces of like crater peaks like sticking up. And then on the evening of the 16th, so not the evening of the 15th, so early in the morning on the 15th, and then in the evening of the 16th, the following day, you can see about as young a moon or as new a moon as you can possibly see in the evening twilight. Hmm. It's kind of neat to have the uh, ability to see both so close together. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. My sister's birthday is the 16th, so uh, I'll send her a moon-themed birthday card. I'm sure she'll love it. I'm sure she will. <laughs> August 18th. Mars will be two degrees below and to the right of the moon in evening twilight. Not much to see on Mars anymore. It's really just something to look at through binoculars and ID and say, there's Mars next to the moon and you won't see much else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have to sort wait going, until next year. That's right. Yeah. It's going on a bit of a hiatus for a while. Eh? Yep. Every two years it, you know, gets close where close enough where, you know, modest backyard telescopes can start to pull out detail. It's just not this year. And then this one, it's like, it seems like it's even further because it's not even next year. It's actually early in 2025, but I think it's like crosses over a little bit there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like February. And I guess that makes sense because 26 months, 24 months was in December. That was the opposition, right? right? In right 2022. Yeah. But it just seems like, whoa, that seems like a super long time because it will have been since 2022, but now the calendar will be 2025. It just seems like, like a much longer period of time, even though. I guess it's not really. Well, I guess we'll wait in anticipation. Yeah. And it's not much of an opposition. It's like, I looked it up. I was like, how big does it get? It was like 15 arc minutes. It's like the smallest one in history. I think. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> I think it's pretty small. Yeah. It's oh, literally, well. I think it's half the size or close to it of what it was back in 2003 that time. Okay. August 24th, first quarter moon lunar straight while is visible. What is the lunar straight wall, Shane? Uh, well, it's a clear obscure effect. Uh, so shadow play. Um, this will appear as basically a straight line on the moon, which is pretty cool because there's really no straight lines. It's, you know, a lot of jaggedness and some craters and things yep. like that. Yeah. Um, but it's basically just, you know, as the, uh, as the sun illuminates the moon at different angles, just due to, you know, both of their, all due to the moon's position, 
Um, you can, you know, it highlights certain things in shadow and certain things in light and uh, creates these clear obscure effects. And the lunar straight wall has been one that's been visible. I think the last few months we've done this, Chris, like I know for sure in July it was visible and I thought June as well. So we're on a bit of a streak here. Yeah. I think it's visible for like 20, almost 24 hours around that first mm-hmm. quarter period. So usually you get a night, sometimes you can get two nights, but on this night, this is a very rare night. I spent two hours making these show notes up last night. I spent one hour on this. And that is that on August 24th, that night, when you can see the lunar straight wall, the moon will also occult in Terry's. Okay. And so what is an occultation, you might ask? Well, one might. Um, (laughs) Basically, or go ahead. No, no, you go. Well, just when one object kind of moves in front of the other. Uh, That's essentially. right. Yeah. Yeah. We we used to have a really tall gentleman at, at one of the astronomy clubs I was I was at. And sometimes he'd accidentally walk in front of somebody's telescope, even though he was standing like 10 feet away, we'd, his head would still block. We used to call him the great occulter. <laughs> so in this instance, the moon is going to pass in front of Antares in the daylight. Now for us, we get it just as the sun is setting. So it's it's going to be kind of, uh, I think, a little bit dramatic for us, Shane, because right at 8 p.m.-ish, because you'll have to check your own software, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to depend. For me, if I'm at this spot, it's going to be maybe a few seconds or maybe even 30 seconds different than Shane, even if he's at his house just 30 kilometers away. But um, the sunset is at 8.03 and the moon covers up in Terry's at about 8 p.m. within a couple minutes of that. So the sun is going to be setting just as this happens. But, you know, like right now, even like I was up on the hill here, you know, and we're this was two hours before sunset. And I, I was looking at the moon as we were as we were discussing plans for the observatory. I was looking at the moon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. it's It's been out for a few hours. Um, yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, and it just reminded me a couple of weeks ago, I saw Venus, uh, in, uh, in daylight, I guess during oh, the wow. daytime. Yeah. That's kind of neat. Now it was about 45 minutes before sunset. So still you kind of know where to look. It's the Western sky and the moon was out. So you could kind of draw, you know, the ecliptic and, and it was like, oh yeah, there it is. It was very easy yeah. to see once you, once you got it. So it covers it up at 8 PM, just as it's getting dark. And then at 9 PM, an hour after sunset, it's going to, uh, the moon is going to uncover uh, Antares. Hmm. So then you'll be able, it's it's pretty much like exactly an hour for us. I ran ran into my software and, I, and like I said, maybe a few seconds or a couple minutes at most on either side of 8 p.m. And then again, uh, 60 minutes later for uh, for here anyway, from, okay. from, my, from my location. So people should check their own because I, I was reading an article. They have a, have a brief article in the uh, August edition of Sky and Telescope. And it talks about this and it says it's been like a number of years, I think like if I'm recalling correctly, like three or four years since we've had a good um, star occultation by the moon, like easily visible here from Canada, like a like a bright first magnitude star like this. So it's it's been a bit of a drought. Hmm. Better take advantage, I guess. I think so. I think this this is a cool one to see. And I'll tell you why. Um, I'm not sure how many of these occultations you've seen, Shane, but they were something that weren't even really on my radar very much at all. I was like, big deal moon covers up a star this must happen all the time well it does kind of sort of but to see it well 
is something that is a rare event, you know, mm -hmm. happening only mm -hmm. sometimes every three or four years. And the other thing is, is that it's sort of surprising to actually watch this occur. Every time I get a chance and I see a relatively bright star, even that, that's going to be occulted by the moon, I do try to take a look because you're you're watching it and you're you're seeing the moon and you're seeing the star. And it at first, in a really wide-field binocular or telescope, they seem just fantastically far apart that they couldn't possibly meet in the sky and that the moon couldn't possibly cover over this. It actually, when you go to look, it seems like this is something that just can't happen and it doesn't happen. It takes this, this period of time. And it seems like you can hardly see that this distance is being closed. And for some reason, even as they get closer and closer, it really doesn't seem like they're that close. And then all of a sudden, just within moments, it seems like suddenly the moon and whatever it is, whether it's Mars or whether it's the, the planet or, or, or the, uh, the star are like almost right on top of each other. And you're like, this is going to happen. It, and then it, it just, it happens and it takes like a few seconds for it to occur. And you'll see the object, in this case, Antares, dip in behind some of the craters on the moon and will kind of peek in and out of a few craters for a few seconds. Sometimes the moon will, the moon is orbiting and we're orbiting and and it can take on the appearance of the moon almost starting to like roll uh, through the night sky. And you just don't get that sense until you see it next to an object like a bright star like this. It's really spectacular. Hmm. Yeah, um, I like your description. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I've probably seen. I, so I, I saw my first one by accident. I was just at observing one night and then I noticed this. I it, You know, the moon is up, so I wasn't. I was, I think I was waiting for the moon to set and I was just like, oh yeah, whatever. I'll just watch this and maybe the moon will pass in front of this star. And my friend Tim was there and he was like, oh no, this is way better than you think. And I'm like, ah, this isn't, and holy cow, it's, it's an event. This is worth seeing. All right. Next thing, August 26th, eight flora, which is an asteroid is going to be in opposition magnitude 8.3, well within binocular range. Wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, two asteroids this month, actually. That's two, pretty good. Two asteroids at opposition this month, discovered by J.R. Hind on 18th of October, 1847. Named Flora was proposed by John Herschel from Flora, the Latin goddess of flowers and gardens. I kind of like okay. that. Okay, right on. Going to be in the eastern Taurus region of the morning sky. So kind of sitting on that, uh, I think like the Taurus uh, border, but you know, well into Taurus. August 27th, this is what we referenced earlier. Saturn will be at opposition. The rings are getting a little closed. They kind of look like ears. When we first saw it the other night, we noticed that, well, the atmosphere was a bit blurry and it was very close to the horizon. And it looked like those classic ears that Galileo drew were, you know, some of the early astronomers mentioned. Okay. But I think over the next month, it should uh, should get a little better as it gets uh, placed into the evening sky. On August 30th, the full moon and Saturn are going to be two degrees apart. So Saturn is going to be two degrees above and to the right of the moon in the evening sky. So that should be pretty good. Well <laughs> worth seeing. Yeah, got a couple of comments. Sorry, go ahead, Shane. I was just going to say, you know, in addition to two asteroids at opposition, we have quite a few moon and planet pairings. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I, I enjoy the moon and planet pairings because 
sometimes wine and cheese pairings just don't go down that well. No, um, with binoculars, just from my deck, sometimes, you know, tired, long day at work. We, we've mm-hmm. all been there, right? And mm-hmm. you're like, you know, I just like, you know, it's clear and I, I kind of should take advantage of it. But, you know, what, what do I do? I don't want to, you know, go go observing because I'm just tired or whatever. I'm just going to go out and look at this, you know, in 10, 15 minutes, just like real pleasant experience, just really nice to look at. We're not doing science here, folks. We're just out there and enjoying looking at the stars. It's super cool. Yep. A couple of comets. Comet E1 Atlas should be about 10th magnitude in August over there in Cepheus. And this one is dimming unfortunately. So maybe 10th, maybe get close to 10.5 by the time uh, we get in August. I think it's 10.3 right now. So it's sort of just within the margins of being something that we'd put on the list to look at. But especially if you have like an 8, 10, 12 inch telescope from a reasonably dark site, I think uh, 10th magnitude comet can be just a nice challenge to hunt down. Mm-hmm. Then we have this. This is the comet that you talked about earlier in the year, Shane. I was going to say earlier in the week. I meant earlier in the year. Comet V2ZTF is getting closer to 10th magnitude. It's actually brightening up. And this okay. is one of those ones they think might be a naked eye target by the end of the year. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, just taking a look here. Yeah, yeah I heading guess we'll south. wait and see. Yeah. yeah, heading south, hugging the Taurus set us border here for uh really a few months i think uh you know probably september october time frame probably when we're going to see it best and hopefully uh we get some good clear skies because it, it never right now it is actually fairly high it uh, kind of came in up through the northern part of the sky but i think even a few months ago it was it was still like pretty faint like 12th to 15th magnitude at times so uh now it's really on that brightening track uh, but unfortunately, it is heading down south. But that's why it might be worthwhile uh, putting some telescopes on and watching it because this is one of those objects that is making a, I think it's a first pass through the inner solar system. And mm-hmm. so who knows, all bets are off. It could just mm-hmm. suddenly really brighten up and then dim back down. So hard hard to say what will happen. People should get their scopes on that if they have them. Yeah, absolutely. Double stars, double stars. What do you got for double stars, Shane? Well. A, a double star episode at this time of the year or a double star section uh, this time of the year wouldn't seem right without talking about the double double, um, which uh, Tim Hortons. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you're, okay. if you're a Canadian, uh, okay. you know, Tim, the Tim Hortons uh, double star, I guess. Uh, is the Tim Hortons double star catalog. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of um, timbits up there. Yeah, and uh, Dave uh, Dave Chapman talked about this on his Stars You Should Know uh, in the summer. So people will hear a little bit more about it there. Um, you know, this is one of the most famous double stars out there. Um, and what's super neat about it is you can actually see like kind of the, it's two groups of two. Um, however, the two groups of two are pretty tight. Like the, the two pairs are pretty tight. Um, and without, you know, a good night uh, or like without good sky conditions and without some decent magnification, it just appears as two stars. But then as you increase the magnification um, and if it's a good night of seeing, you can then split those two stars into four. And uh, what's neat is they all are very similar to each other. Um, And I don't think I'm doing a great job to paint the beauty of it, but it's one of my favorite double star systems. So if you haven't seen this one yet, check it out. It's pretty easy to find. 
uh, up in Lyra. And, uh, you know, while you're there, take a look at the Ring Nebula and and uh, there's a, I think there's a globular up there and a few, few other doubles to check out too. So it's kind of a neat part of the sky. Is your next star one in Delphinus? It is, Chris. We've never talked about Delphinus before because <laughs> nobody observes Delphinus. Well, and that's why I put it on the list because you and I have said that multiple <laughs> times. Is that, you know, Delphinus is is kind of a neat little constellation. Uh, it's, it's pretty sort of like your, it's like your little brother constellation. It's good yeah. to have it there, but. You know, maybe just if you need a anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've always appreciated the constellation because it's kind of this little diamond shape. Uh, I always see it visually and, and take a moment to look. Uh, but there are some double stars there. So, Chris, we were wrong. There is stuff to observe in Delphinus. Uh, the one that I'm going to put on the list for uh, this month is Gamma 2 Delphinus. Uh, and it's just two bright yellow stars that are fairly bright. Um, let me just double check here. This would be the finest in Delphinus. There you go. Um, so the primary is magnitude 4.4. The secondary is five. So pretty bright and pretty similar in magnitude. Separation is 8.9 uh, arc seconds. So um, that is fairly close, but like very separable, like any modest telescope will be able to separate that and uh but there'll be a nice tight pair um the RASC observing notes say to use it uh or use about 77 times magnification um now if you are observing this and you can't split it as with any double star just keep using more magnification and and you should be able to turn this you know if it looks like one star you should be able to turn it into two and if you can't yeah, might not be looking at the right one, but uh, there's a reason to go check out Delphinus. Always good to have twice the fun, four times the fun, if you're observing Epsilon 1 Lyra. There you go. Yep. Anything to add to this episode of Objects to Observe in the August 2023 night sky, Shane? No, that is all, Chris. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks, listeners. Please subscribe and do us the favor and share the show with other stargazers you know. You can always send us your show ideas, observations, and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.